the free will of man is it unified with God will or is it contradictory or controversial to God's will that's what we're going to look at today I'm Minister Aaron Stanberry, and we are here today just um, to talk to you and let you know that all is well here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And we're going to be talking today about the free will. This is part two, part two of our conversation uh, on the other evening about the free will of man. But tonight, we're going to be looking at the part is the free will of man in unity with God, or is it in adversity to God? And I mention that because our teaching has taught us that um, man sinned and he brought sin in the world when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And when they ate the fruit, sin therefore came into the world and was imparted on all humans. So all humans have a sin nature. We are considered deprived because of the actions of Adam and Eve. But as I look, I didn't have not found anywhere where did sin come from that sin that they brought into the world where did it come from and the only conclusion that I can come up with is that it was a, it is associated with their free will because their free will is what um, was used to disobey God now we still haven't determined where that free will come from. Is it was it um, something that God gave them, or did it come from outside of God? We don't know. I mean, uh, we do know, but we won't admit that we know that God gave it to them. If He gave it to, them, if if it's such a thing, anyway. But the free will of man is the focal point of all teachings within Christianity now, and this is why a lot of our teaching is about sin in other words we find a lot of ministers that preach that if you're not talking about sin then you are not preaching the word of god because um, if you're not preaching about sin you're not preaching the gospel if you're not trying to convict people of their sins then you're not preaching the gospel so therefore um the thing that that makes that important is what will are you following? When we talked about that earlier, are you either following um, mammoth or are you following God? And you can't do both at the same time. But anyway, what we're going to do is go ahead and look into the second part of what we talked about last night where we were saying that because of the philosophy that's being taught that it leads to an understanding that Jesus Christ deals with children or deal with his children the children of God the same way he deals with the devil so we're going to go into that listen to that and then we're going to be right back with more commentary here we go many of them teach Old Testament theology which highlights the disobedience rejections and unbelief that the children of Israel had toward God then they attempt to apply the theology to New Testament believers these concepts and precepts are so far from being accurate it leads us to a philosophy of expectation. This philosophy would have us believe that Jesus deals with us, believers, the same way he deals with sinners, 
unbelievers, let us look at this, Paul said, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Can we conclude that if we, New Testament saints, have the mind of Christ, then we have pleased the Father and do not expect Him to do what He already has done? Let us take a look and see how we please God. In Hebrews 11:5, we find Enoch, who was the seventh from Adam, the seventh generation, 300 years after Adam left the garden, pleasing God because of his testimony. His testimony was that he believed and trusted God to take care of him. Proverbs 3:5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Therefore, to have the mind of Christ is to please God by knowing that he will take good care of us regardless of the situation or circumstances. Paul goes on to say Christ did not think it was robbery to be equal with God but was made in the likeness of men in order to be obedient to the death on the cross. We must understand that Christ never stopped being God but took on the appearance of a man in order not to shock the people with his presence. In Exodus 33 20-23, God tells Moses that no man can see his face and live. Placing Moses behind a rock, he showed him only his back parts. If Christ would have come in his perfect appearance, the people could not have withstood it. Exodus 20:20 indicates that the people were afraid of God even talking to them directly, for fear of death. The book of 1 John indicates that when Christ comes again, we will be just like him. That appearance, which is like his, happened to him before the foundation of the world. Christology versus Theology Trying to teach New Testament Christology, Jesus, using Old Testament theology, God, is a very tricky thing to do because the precepts are the same in some aspects yet very different in others. That is because the old was based on works, rejections, and unbelief, while the new is based on grace, acceptance, and belief. To be clear, the old focused on disobedience while the new focus is on obedience. There are many in the congregation that are just followers never coming to the truth of the scriptures. They say Amen, bear witness, wave their hands, and tell their neighbor whatever they are told by the person speaking, like robots, rarely knowing what the person is saying or what they mean. Another misleading doctrine is that Satan has the ability to overrule Jesus' commands. The truth is that he can only rule over those who do not believe, unbelievers, this is according to 2 Corinthians 4. In addition, Satan, who is said to be the God of this world, can rule over them, so they cannot have the light of Christ shine on them and God would have to save them. A question arises to me, are those the ones God turned over to a reprobate mind, Romans 1 28? In 1 Thessalonians 2, 11, God is the one that gave them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. The lie was that they knew better than God what they needed to feel good. Therefore, it is God, not Satan, that blinded their minds, interesting. The rulership of Satan. Question, when we talk about Satan doing this or that, are we actually talking about his seed, Cain, and his descendants, 1 John 3? You see, the descendants of Cain are vagabonds and fugitives, as their father was, Genesis 4:14. They are known as the children of disobedience or the sons and daughters of men, Strong's Concordance, H120. Also, we are no longer under the law of sin and death but are under the law of life in Christ Jesus. James 4 5-10 talks to us about dealing with the devil. He says, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, 
but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We find here that we have the grace of God because of our humbleness, and because of that grace, we can resist the devil, and he has no choice but to flee. The process of being humble is found in Ephesians 1:13, that says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The outline here is to first hear, then trust, and believed. Then God seals you with the Holy Spirit. The hearing here is not from a person but from God who calls us. 1 Peter 2 9. Trusted, G 42 76, is a past tense word, which means to hope before. Now that hope comes from his faith, Hebrews 11 1. To believe, G 4102, is to relating to God, the conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. Relating to Christ, a strong and welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah, through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. And finally, to be sealed, G 4972, is the most important of all these words, for it means to set a seal upon, mark with a seal, to seal, for security from Satan. Since things sealed up are concealed, as the contents of a letter, to hide, keep in silence, keep secret, Colossians 3 3, this tells me that Satan has no authority over anything. To close this notion of Satan's control over us, the writer of 1 John states that if your heart, spirit, condemns you, God, Jesus, is greater than your heart, spirit, and knows all. The message here is that Satan brings sin, sin brings condemnation, and condemnation brings death, separation from God. This writer further informs us that no condemnation means our confidence toward God, Jesus, is intact and he will never leave us nor forsake us. Finally, Satan, Lucifer, being an angel is a heavenly being. I have found nowhere in the Bible where he is given residency or caretaker duties over the earth by God. The only one God gave caretaker duties over the earth was the living soul. Therefore, Satan has no authority or power over the earth and is an undocumented resident, an illegal alien, and a convict with a death sentence on his head. Jude 1:9 tells us this, yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Our job is to only remind him what God has already done to him. Another aspect of this Satan going to get you doctrine is that the book of Romans tells us that there is no condemnation upon those who love the Lord and call for his purpose. Another strictly taught doctrine within primarily the charismatic movement is the healing ministries. The claim is that because of their close relationship with God, he works through them via the Holy Spirit to heal the sick, raise the dead, control the elements, etc. This attitude of miraculous healing and element manipulation comes from several conjectures and omissions between what Jesus and others said and what they did. Within this movement, there is a strong need to show evidence that you have the power, which is speaking in a heavenly language. However, what I have noticed is that the first time something happens, they are the first ones to run for cover. If they get sick or injured, they run to the doctor. They do this after telling their members not to trust the doctor but just trust Jesus to heal you. Many times, they cry out to the Lord to fix this or that right after they have proclaimed they have been given all powers. They claim that they were given this power to finish the works of Jesus. The proclamation they can do these things comes from scriptures like Matthew 4 23, 
where Jesus went about healing all manner of sickness and disease, were Luke 4:40, where Jesus healed all those brought to him, and also, Acts 5:16, where the multitude got healed when Peter passed by. The classic scripture used is John 14:12, where Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. This is the primary evidence used to declare that they have all the abilities of Jesus. However, the key phrase is the work that I do he do also. What then are the works of Jesus? We find that Jesus's mission was to save his people from their sins by proclaiming the kingdom of God was at hand, accessible to his chosen. The acts he did were the results of being in the kingdom of God. Jesus was showing his people what it meant to be in the kingdom of God. The objective was for them to accept him for who he was and not what he did. Jesus confirmed this in John 6 when talking to the disciples. This is the conversation, then said they unto him, What shall we do, that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see, and believe thee? What dost thou work? As he continued the conversation, we will understand the true works of God. Jesus then said to them, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and in that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son, and believeth on him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is a direct reference to John 17, where he states he had lost none given him. An important thing Jesus said to the seventy was this, Notwithstanding in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. Therefore, we are to rejoice about who and whose we are and not on what we can do. There are many other scriptures that dictate that if Jesus or one of the apostles did this or that, then they can do it too. In Romans 9:15-16, God declares, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. I think claiming to have God's power to do the things of God is a very dangerous thing to do. My perspective only. The review. This leads us back to the question, is the doctrine we are being taught the true gospel of Christ? In the scriptures, we are told that in the last days there will be many out to deceive the elect. Their objective is to make merchandise of us. We are told they will come as ministers of righteousness and that they will take captive many with subtle speak, just as the serpent did to the woman. Well then, ask yourself that question, am I sure the doctrine being preached to me is the true gospel, or is it another gospel? Think about it, deception is a subtle thing that can have eternal consequences. Remember this, the Lord has chosen you and not you that chose Him. His love toward us is based on who you are in His sight. It is not that you know Him but rather that He knows you. Galatians 4 9. Finally, Paul says in 1 Timothy, study to show yourself approved, a workman able to rightly divide the Word of God. Amen, amen. We are looking at that. And for those of you who may have got lost in the shuffle there, how is this fitting into free will? Well, 
first of all, under the doctrine of free will or the doctrine of sin, you first of, all, first of all have to have a leader. So we have been told or we have been taught that the leader of the um, sin is Satan. And we have, so therefore, we have elevated Satan to virtually a position that is equal to God. In other words, he can... Um, he can overrule what God said. If God, in case God says if that you're holy because he's holy, once you accepted him, we come back and say, no, that's not right. You still got to do this and you got to do that. You got to follow the regulations. You got to follow the rule because if you don't, you're going to make God angry and he's going to do, you know, so we have elevated Satan to a status that is not scriptural. And I say that because of this. First of all, he is a, he is a cherub and he's a he's an angel and he was cast down to earth in disgrace <clears throat> he was rebuked by god he was he was condemned by god he was uh, uh placed and in, in the lowest uh echelon of god's creations that there were so if that's the case, then how can he therefore rule over man without God's permission? And I have not found nowhere in the scripture where God said that Satan had rule over man. Now, Satan say he does. He said in some scriptures that he's the kingdom. He, he's the prince of the darkness of the air. Um, he's this and he's that. But then if we look at his, his what he says, he's a liar. So anything that he says about himself is just the opposite. So just like when G when he, when Jesus and him was in the wilderness and he said, I could give you all these kingdoms because they belong to me. That's a lie. They don't belong to him. God never gave them to him. And if God never did it, then who did? Who who gave him authority? Who granted him authority to have rulership over man? And if anyone is preaching that, then they need to go back into the scriptures and find out exactly what they're talking about. Because Satan does not have authority over any anyone, not even not even the unbeliever, because they are all everyone is controlled by God. If you think that God is not in control, then you need to go take a look at um proverbs chapter 16 verse 4 where it says god created all things for his purpose even the wicked until the day of judgment uh if you go to romans chapter 9 he said that it was him who hardened um pharaoh's heart because he had a purpose for pharaoh um he also says that that um in chapter 9 that he loved uh jacob and hated esau you know, so God is the one that's in control of this. And if you don't, if you think for some reason that you have, you are able to control God or tell God, no, or, I'm not going to do that. Then you are a delusion and you have been given a delusion that you should believe that lie. So, but all of that comes out of that understanding of having a free will. Free will is not unit unified with god's will it can't be it's in contradictory to god's will and um where it came from well it came from the fact of man 
just applying it to man and then trying to segregate it from God in some kind of way. But when you look into it, and that's all I'm doing is asking you to look into it and find somewhere in the scripture where God gave man a free will to do as he pleased. That's the only thing. So we're going to take a break right now and we will be back with you right after this to close it out.
Amen. That's Miss Kim Jordan and Hallelujah, one of her projects that she just recently done. And Hallelujah is the highest, highest praise that you could give the Lord Jesus Christ, that you could give God. That's the highest praise you can do. Well, uh, once again, and, and what I like to say in clothing is that I understand that a lot that's being said here on this program or podcast, what's being said may be new to you. But my intention is not to teach you anything, but to motivate you to go to the scriptures and check the scriptures out. And also keep this in context, the first five chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, and parts of 5. And stay within that context and, and, and you will see there are a lot of questions. There are a lot of questions, particularly in chapter 2. That has not been addressed to us. And, and one of them is the separations of the natures of man. One's righteous and one's unrighteous. And how do we know this? Well, we know this because Cain was declared unrighteous because he was of the wicked one. And Abel was declared righteous because he was in the line of Adam. So therefore, when we look at this thing, let's look at it with with, 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 with the eyes of God and what was God's intention. I, I don't think God's intention when he uh, formed the man or created man, I don't think his intention was man to rebel and become a rebel against him. So I, I really implore you to look into those scriptures and see where does the will of man come in and if you can't find it then therefore it means that it's not true so I'm Mr. Aaron Stanberry and we just glad to have you here this afternoon um, just listening to this and knowing you're going to get something out of it if it's no more than just picking up your Bible and looking in it to see if I'm wrong so Genesis chapter 1 to and three and four look at them check them out give them a thorough look just as the Berenians did when they heard the word they went to the scriptures to find if it was true what was being taught them and that's exactly what Paul tells them that he they were more noble because they did that Paul told tells us each and every individual to study to show yourself approved a workman able to rightly divide the word of God so until next time we'll see you then have a good one